Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action and create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in the tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Today, I'll be speaking with Momay Q. Momay is a Senior Vice President of PSP Growth, the venture and growth equity arm of PSP Partners. Prior to joining PSP Growth in 2018, she spent six years and was the Vice President at Baird Capital, where she invested in healthcare and technology companies. Prior to joining Baird, she was at Independence Equity, a technology-focused venture capital firm. Before IE, she worked as an investment banker at Merrill Lynch and Company. Momay earned a Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering and a Bachelor of Science in Finance from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and a Master's of Business Administration from Harvard Business School. She currently serves on the board of the Goldie Initiative, an organization dedicated to elevating the careers of high potential women in commercial real estate, and the leadership board of CRE Tech, a leading news, events, content organization for technology in real estate. Welcome to the show, Momay. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Great. Let's get started. Um, Momay, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Yes, of course. So I was first introduced to the tech world in college, where I majored in computer engineering. Uh, I was spending my days building a toy version of an autonomous vehicle and writing code for video games, so very tech. Mm -hmm. What I quickly realized, though, was how many promising ideas were simply confined to the lab. There was no feedback from potential customers and not a lot of thought around commercialization. And as much as I love technology itself, I loved more the prospect of showcasing them to the world and finding areas where they can be meaningfully beneficial to the end user. I've uh, spent some time in healthcare where that need is very pronounced, but even if you could add just a little value to consumer convenience, that was more intriguing to me than working on theoretical things in a vacuum. So from there, I added a business degree, spent some time on Wall Street, and now find myself in the world of venture capital where I partner with entrepreneurs and help drive adoption of their innovative tech business ideas. That is awesome. And I I love that, you know, you wanted more than just the lab because that real world experience, that real world feedback is so critical. So that's that's really great. Um, tell me a little bit about the venture capital piece, how it relates to women. I mean, are you seeing many women get funding? Uh, what are you seeing in your industry? I think we still have a long way to go, but I do think we've made tremendous progress. So when I first joined my last venture firm, so the one before PSP, mm -hmm. I was the only woman on the entire floor when I joined, which sounds crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was there for about eight years, and 
by the time I left, uh, our group was 50% women. So wow. that was very encouraging. My organization now is founded and led by Penny Pritzker, who is a very successful and inspirational woman on a global level in the business, political, and civic world, as well as venture. So for my personal experience, it's been very positive. Generally, I tend to think of progress for women here in two steps. And I think this is probably not venture specific, but generally, I think one is just increasing the overall representation of women in venture or other related tech careers. And another is elevating them into decision-making roles. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of firms have done well on the first piece. When they're hiring associates or support staff, they make a conscious effort to interview and hire more women candidates. The progress, I believe, is slower on the latter. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it's because women are being directly discriminated against when it comes to partner promotion or board roles or investments but rather people's natural bias is to choose those who are just like them. It's very apparent when you're talking about gender or, or race, but even among white males, you tend to see it's a certain demographic or socioeconomic group that gets more opportunities than others. So I think real change is going to come from a shift in that mindset of trying to open your mind to more diverse candidates um, in decision-making roles. And that progress is more challenging and takes longer, but I do think we are making progress on, on all those fronts. That's really good to hear. And I, I completely agree with you where, you know, we need more women in the forefront so that you can see um, yourself, you know, in that person who's looking for venture funds. So really interesting. So what, what do you think women can do to advance in this, in this venture investing world? You know, what, what is the opportunity there? So for one, back to sort of my earlier point, I think women need to band together and mm -hmm. uh, especially on the last point about having women in key decision-making roles, this really becomes a virtuous cycle. So if you think of having a woman partner on the investment team, she might invest in a founder who then recruits a woman board member. And the virtual cycle starts that way where you build upon each other and each other's networks. I think a while back, um, I, and I kind of thought in this camp too, where I was in many roles in my life where I was the only woman in tech, in engineering, in finance. And at first there was a sense of pride, right? Like I was the one that made it. But when you take a step back, that's actually not a good thing. You want to build your network around you. So then when you continue to elevate in the world of venture, where you try to build up the founders or the associates that work for you, it's really managing both up and down in terms of building that network of women. So the first thing I would say is just, you know, really try to uh, advance those around you as well and for women to find together in that venture investing world to advance. And then the other piece I would say is women do a lot of things well in the world of venture, but one thing we don't do enough of is self-advocacy. Mm -hmm. I think we tend to be very hard on ourselves where we want something to be perfect before we pound the table and try to influence somebody to back our work or back our investment or back our strategy. And I would just say that, you know, be more confident here and uh, be proud of the work that you've done and not be shy about advocating for yourself, especially in the investing world where you have to influence and build alignment with several different parties, including to, in order to achieve your goals. That's great. I think both of those things are so important. So banding together, I believe women should help each other 
uh, get to that next level. If you've had that success to help others um, get there, I'm a big proponent of that. And um, that's how we're going to, you know, get to scale in this area. And self-advocacy, I, I completely agree with. Show that confidence, show that um, ability to do anything, because we can do anything. Even if we're 60% qualified, we'll learn the other 40%. But yeah. we have to have that mindset, right? If we have a fixed mindset that thinks this is all we can do, then that's all we can do. <laughs> Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. We showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. So, you know, you've had some incredible success in your career. Um, what do you attribute that success to? Oh, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Well, I think it sounds a little bit cliche, but you have to have passion for the job. Mm -hmm. Venture and I think finance generally tend to be very highly sought after careers. So you have a lot of people doing it for the wrong reasons, for money, for prestige, for recognition. And for a short period of time, and when the goalposts are well-defined, most people can do it. Um, I started my career in investment banking, where there were plenty of analysts in my Merrill Lynch investment, investment banking class that can power through two years of banking, maybe even two years of investing. That's sort of the typical path. But almost everyone burns out or don't make it to the senior levels without actual passion for the job. And I think the reason is at the senior levels, it requires hard work, but there's also a lot of creativity, problem solving, like we mentioned before, building alliances, influencing, and there's not so much a well-defined deliverable anymore. So if you like what you're doing and it doesn't feel like work, but rather you're just trying to solve a problem when you're trying to make a decision on whether to make an investment, uh, playing detective and uncovering information, uh, we're really trying to be creative and a thought partner to a portfolio company once you made the investment and genuinely want them to succeed, then your job becomes much easier because you love it and you're constantly thinking about it without a lot of stress. If you don't like your job, even if it's a nine to three job, that can be miserable, right? I mean, that's six solid hours every day sitting there if you don't enjoy your job. Um, so I think the, the passion, even if it doesn't showcase itself right away because you can power through with hard work in some industries, it won't really build you up for success for the long run, which is really important, as we've heard many, many times in a lot of great advice given by successful people, that it's really important to find what you like to do. So tell me the first time, um, tell me the first time that you realized you had a passion for this industry. Yeah, so it, it's really interesting. Uh, so I started in the investment banking world in 2008. So right smack in the middle of the Great Recession, the financial crisis. And similarly, in a way that COVID probably accelerated a lot of our decisions in the past year, that probably pulled me into the venture career much faster than I thought. I mean, I would have done 
typical two years of investment banking, probably two years at some type of investment role, not necessarily venture and gone on to business school. But about six months into my mayoral job, uh, I realized that we were going to be the last analyst class before the takeover of Bank of America, which sounds really crazy, like a firm over 100 years old, uh, my first year analyst class, and they get acquired. But um, uh, I was lucky that I wasn't the only one that thought engineering and finance went really well together um, when it comes to investing and helping founders in tech. And so I had the opportunity to join from the ground up a brand new venture capital firm that was being formed just in 2009. And even at the young age of 23, I became the first associate. And as part of that job, we were, that was my first experience meeting with founders. Um, and because we were more of a startup fund ourselves, we had to really go the extra mile in terms of being a value added partner. So I was helping founders write their business plans. They were sending me, these were very early companies. So they were sending me invoices, not even real financial statements, but invoices from the purchase orders that had gotten to help me to um, ask me to build a business plan for them. And I think since then, which was at the age of 23, I was hooked. Um, even though I love the intersection of technology and business, at a young age, I really didn't know what that meant. But being able to partner with founders in an entrepreneurial environment uh, on uh, analyzing both the technology and the business side was just really intriguing for me from day one. That's great. That's great. Um, so because I love the analogy of when you're working, it doesn't feel like work. And I feel like that for what I do. You know, I mean, I work yeah. a lot of hours, but I love what I do. So it just doesn't feel like work. And sometimes, you know, my husband will say, can you get up off the computer? I mean, you've been there all day, you know. <laughs> I think we've all been through that, right? That's right. That's right. Um, so the passion is so important to kind of go after your passion. What makes you happy? Do what makes you happy. Do what mm -hmm. makes you fulfilled. I love that. That That's great. Um, so you have a master's in business from Harvard. So what are some of the key nuggets that you took with you into the business world that brought you success? You know, it's great for people in business who are listening to this podcast but, you know, maybe they didn't have the uh, opportunity to go to a prestigious school like Harvard, like you did. Is there some key nuggets that you can share with us um, that you brought into the business world that has really worked for you? Sure. So I'll touch on two things. One is I realized the importance of communication, mm -hmm. not just in the business world, but in life, your personal life, your, your business life. Because at the end of the day, no matter what industry or career you're in, it's all about getting things done, mm -hmm. right? It's whether it's a product launch or you're hiring somebody or you're making an investment decision like I am, it's all about getting from here to there. And to get things done, oftentimes you're not the only decision maker. Back to the topic about influencing others that we talked about before, you have to synthesize a ton of information, be able to communicate it quickly and succinctly to the right decision makers, build the right alliances, put something in your timeline, set goals, um, and eventually be responsible for the results. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned in business school. And we practiced that a lot um, at HBS, where, uh, as you might know, HBS is 
purely 100% a case method um, mm -hmm. education. Mm -hmm. So you are graded almost entirely on your comments that you make in class. And oftentimes you read uh, pages and pages of materials and you really only have one chance, if that, to speak in class. And mm -hmm. so you get one chance to be called on, you get 90 seconds and you have to make the point. You have to make a class of 90 other very smart individuals see your perspective Otherwise, people are moving on to the next topic and you lose your chance even after preparing for hours um, on this particular topic. And mm -hmm. so that really instilled in me the importance of the communication. And you can see that um, that applies to my venture job, that applies to my personal life. And even when I look at my portfolio companies, the most effective founders I know are the best storytellers. So mm -hmm. that probably doesn't come as a surprise. To win over investor money, you have to be able to tell the story of why they should believe in you. You went over a team that you want to hire. You're basically convincing somebody to leave their cushy, high salary job in big tech to work for you for a third of the cash plus stock, but the stock might not be worth anything in you know, 90% of the cases if you're looking at it purely from a probability perspective. So how do you make that convincing argument is really key. And then the second point that I would just make is surround yourself with people who are honest and have integrity and accountability. When I was at Harvard, one of the things I realized was if you, I looked around my looked around me, um, everyone was driven and hardworking and smart. Um, mm -hmm. That almost became a commodity if that sounds strange, but it's really about who will stick with you when the times are tough. Um, uh, and smart and you know being diligent might not necessarily cut it anymore. It's really who's going to help you in times of need who can still be creative when it looks like you're on a sinking ship. So being able to find those people and surround yourself with them is also really important. That's great. Those are great, great nuggets. Um, so do you have a story um, as to how you practice both of these things or either one? Uh, yeah, I think it takes time. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to, I, when I was younger, I thought a lot of these skill sets I could learn by reading a book or mm -hmm. listening to some words of wisdom. But I think there's a, there's a reason, maybe back to the communication side, that mm -hmm. Harvard puts you through five hours of classes of this type of courses every day, five days a week for two years, because it does take practice um, in terms of just synthesizing so such a large volume of information and dissecting what's important to you and how do you communicate that. So for anyone who wants to practice that, I would just say, put yourself in a lot of real, as much real world situations as you can. You can mm -hmm. read as many books as possible. And I like to read them too, because they're inspirational and I can draw a lot of learnings from them. But at the end of the day, when you actually step up to the stage, whatever that means, that's in front of your team, in front of an audience, in front of something that matters, that game time performance doesn't come naturally. So in the beginning, it's going to be a little awkward and you're going to ramble and you're going to listen to yourself afterwards and think, why did I ramble on like that? Why did I say these things? But the more you practice, the better that you will get and getting, getting honest feedback about yourself um, and learning as you go is really important. And I think same with number two, right? And in the beginning, you're not always going to build 
that type of meaningful, deep relationships, you probably will surround yourself with smarter, hardworking people because those people are interesting and they are helpful to your career. And they do have a role in your life and helping you grow. Um, I think when you, the more you get to know somebody over a long period of time and sort of seeing their track record of how they handle things in difficult situations, the more you can sort of separate the people that you want to surround yourself with for the long run versus ones that can maybe temporarily help your career in the short term. Great examples. And I think one thing that I see very clearly um, just in talking to you is how concise your communication is. I love that because, you know, a lot of times I will hear people just have a hundred words to say maybe five. I don't know if you've noticed that, but in the world, it's it's very prevalent. I mean, it's it's oh, all. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you're saying that. I haven't always been that way, and I tend no, to talk. Great. So I think for the first ten years of my career, my constant feedback has been: slow down, pause, make your points, and stop. No, that's great. And pausing is really another like life lesson I've learned through the years. It's like, do not react, pause, take, take a breath. (laughs) No. So that's great. And I, I do really see your very concise communication. It's, it's wonderful. And it's really just makes me happy. (laughs) That's great. So who inspires you and why? Yeah, so I like to surround myself with people that inspire me on a daily basis. I mean, I do read inspirational stories about others too, but I tend to draw a big piece of my energy from those around me and watching inspirational actions. Um, It's a conscious decision that I made a long time ago where, you know, I decided life is too short to spend it with anyone that depletes your source of energy. Uh So I try to get inspiration from literally everyone that I've chosen to spend time with. That's everyone from my coworkers who, as I mentioned before, right, our organization is led by Penny Pritzker, who, despite all her success and her status, still works super hard every day. Mm-hmm. She's really engaged with our companies. She takes copious notes. She runs several miles before even starting her day. So that's very inspirational to see on a day-to-day basis. I draw inspiration from the entrepreneurs that I invest in mm-hmm. who has to have an unwavering confidence that their business will be successful and make the world a better place after sacrificing time with family, years of salaries, just a lot to give up in order to, for, for one business idea, right? And I also draw inspiration from my family who reminds me daily that there's so many more dimensions to life than just work. And so it's not just from one source, but I think consciously I've made the decision that whether it's work, life, friends, or others, that I'm constantly having this positive source of energy and inspiration that I can turn to. That's great. Um, You know, you mentioned about entrepreneurs, and I am one. So yeah, you you hit the nail on the head where you know, it's years and years of very hard work, investing from, you know, everything you have, taking yeah. out of your 401k if you need to, you know, That's so that is the faith, right? When you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Right, right. And that really shows that passion. If we didn't believe in it, we'd never be, you know, I'm in business for 30 years this year. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how did we do it? You know? Yeah. So that's very, very true. 
So I know we can't, you know, haven't been traveling a lot through COVID, but um, pre-COVID, what's the favorite place you've traveled to and why is it your favorite? Oh gosh, I, speaking of travel, I would travel anywhere at this point. Mm-hmm. I, Me too, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I think I told somebody the other day that I miss going to the airport. I think that's a new low, right? <laughs> that's really a new low. <laughs> but, um, but traveling so, you know, um, you know, when you don't travel, I was just talking to a colleague of mine and he said, you know, I, I haven't traveled in so long and I traveled to San Diego the other weekend and I lost my travel mojo. I just, I didn't take the right things. I couldn't <laughs> find my three ounce containers. I, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, so it, um, so we both, me and my husband, our families are very avid travelers and it was a big part of our life. It's really hard to pick a favorite place. One of the reason is the one, I just love traveling in general, but I tend to have the mindset that the world is so big and any chance that you have, you should see somewhere new. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband is the opposite and he likes to have traditions. He likes to have like a summer place we go to year after year and that's what makes him happy so a lot of conversation on where we go but I think if I were to find sort of our common ground and where we have gone to repeatedly even before COVID and this might surprise you and my colleagues make fun of me all the time before is uh, Disney World (laughs) Mm -hmm. so so now I do have a three-year-old daughter who is not as abnormal anymore to say that I go to Disney World Mm -hmm. but even that my husband and I went there quite a few times um and the next time you go to Disney World you might notice something interesting which is I think in the American culture Disney is very much associated with families and um family kids and related items uh but my family's from from China and in the Asian culture Disney actually represents something very whimsical so Mm -hmm in addition to families that you see at Disney, you actually see a lot of Asian couples mm-hmm. as well as probably the second largest uh, population of attendees at Disney World. And for, I think for whatever reason, I, I can probably think of a few reasons, but um, in the Asian culture, when you think of vacation, a big piece of it is escapism, escapism mm-hmm. from the real world. As as ridiculous as it can get, as unreal as it can get, that's what makes you unwind and have a vacation. And so we go to Disney. My husband and I go to Vegas too, because that's mm-hmm. adult Disney, right? And again, my colleagues, uh, kind of my whole career, have always said they always hated those Vegas conferences. And I would always raise my hand to go because I think ingrained in myself with travel and vacation, you know, escaping the real world and going somewhere so different than my normal life provides me the sense of uh, relief in mm-hmm. um, uh, relaxing environment that I enjoy and can escape from my day-to-day life. Oh my gosh, I love everything you said. So <laughs> I'm a big Disney fan. We are oh, Disney vacation, vacation Club owners. So we love Disney and I love Disney World. And I'm starting to like uh, Disneyland as well because we are now in Arizona and, you know, we can drive to California, which is kind of cool. So a couple years ago, we went to Disneyland for the first time, but we, you know, our kids have grown up in Disney World and just love that. But I love your vacation as an escapism. I, I never thought of that, but that's really what vacation is. If you think about it, 
that's what you want to do. You want to escape from the day to day. You want to get to some place that looks different, that you know, you feel different. And Disney and Vegas are great, great places. So that's that's amazing. I love how you um, framed it because um, it's it's really fun. I'm glad I found another Disney fan. Let's hope we yes. can get back to that world sooner than yes. later. So Disneyland just opened uh, in California, I and that. I just can't even imagine, but it's only for California residents, and it's only 15% um, occupation, I guess. Um, so that, I don't even know how that works. You know, Disney World, we stood in lines all the time. <laughs> so. Yeah, and from what I heard, we haven't been back yet. Um, yes, we haven't either. For things to open up, but from what I heard, it, it's also not the most ideal time to go, mm -hmm. where you literally see like Minnie Mouse with a mask on a parade and social yeah. distancing, like on the parade boat, right? So it's the you're the first, the the first time. That's probably not the experience that you want. <laughs> that's great. I love that you picked Disney. That just warms my heart. <laughs> um, so in closing. Um, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career either in VC or in the tech industry? What are some of the things, and I think we kind of touched on a lot of it, but what are some of the things that you would say to her to try to do? Yeah, so I would say two things. One is make sure you do it for the right reasons, which we've talked about before. You know, some of the wrong reasons would be one, not fully understanding the different roles in tech, right? Um, a lot of people, women and men, probably when they first think about tech in college, they still think of it as just coding. And whether you think that's coding and that makes you want to go into tech or makes you not want to go into tech would be wrong. There's just so many dimensions of different roles in tech. Just make sure you understand why you want to do it mm -hmm. and passion comment. Make sure this is something that you want to do. And then once if you do decide this is something that you want to do, then go out there and prove it to the world that you can do it. Um, and don't be afraid that even if right now, like my, my computer engineering class, I think was 7% women when I went, but don't let that be a hindrance to your confidence. If you've done your research and you're doing it for the right reasons, just go, go after what you want. And the second piece of advice I would say is get a good support group. I think we've seen, especially during COVID times, how difficult it is for women to continue to accelerate in some of these careers. And I would just say, don't be afraid to ask for help. One is asking for helps within your industry. We talked about women fighting together, finding a mentor, finding that network. I think a lot of people are going to be willing to help. And then also on the personal side, if you're juggling family responsibilities, don't feel guilty about um, either getting family help or hiring help or taking some of that load off your shoulders. I think all of us, if we're a parent, um, have mom guilt, like mom guilt is super real. Uh -huh. I get that all the time too. It's like, I'm working from home, but yet I am choosing not to spend time, more time with my daughter sort of on a, on a daily basis. I'm having a family member take her to a different uh -huh. room and uh -huh. give me time to do my calls and do my work. On, on the flip side, right, like I'm less stressful. So the time that I do spend with her is much more valuable and much more engaged versus I was 24 seven juggle both work and family, one in the background of another. I think 
I would be very stressful and probably not do either side very well. So mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask for help, have a support system. We have a lot on our plates, we all do. And I think we should um, be able to offload some of that and make ourselves and put ourselves first sometimes. I think that's so true and such good advice. So have passion for what you do. Um, understand if you're looking at a technology career to understand what it entails and then understand that you're going to love it. That's so important. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, use your network around you for help. And it's funny that you said that because just last night I told my daughter because there's a lot, you know, she has two kids and, um, her husband works late and there's just a lot that she's doing all by herself and she's just overwhelmed. And I'm like, you know, let some of the things go. You have to let them go. Hire out some things, you know, that you can't do. Yeah. You don't have to be superwoman, you know. Totally. So you want to yeah. break, right? You want to for the long game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, great advice. You don't, you know, if you're not able to clean your own house, hire a cleaning person, you know, to do that. Yeah. Um, exactly. just make your your life easier because then you're gonna be better for somebody else. So really, really good advice. Well, Mome, this was so, so wonderful. I truly enjoyed having you on the show and I would love to have you in the future again, if, if you don't mind. I'd love to, this was super fun. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.